holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Cerrado el cabezazo, gol. Gol del Arsenal. El cabezazo picado y el estreno del brasileño Gabriel en su primer partido con el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, it's a goodly morning. It is a goodly morning. How are you doing? Andrew? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm enjoying the noise from next door. Your your gardening neighbour is at it again. He you is just stopped. <gasps> wow! It's meant to be fantastic. It's like all that shouting abuse at him out the window finally paid dividends. I mean, he will start again imminently. He is sawing the garden in half. From what I can hear. That appears to be what he's doing. Okay, well, best of luck to him. Um, it's not at all irritating for me or you or the listeners, so that's fine. I mean, you know, there's a level of inconsiderateness in this uh, society, this world we live in right now, but this is taking the biscuit. But hey, he stopped probably for a biscuit, Kit Kat perhaps, cup of tea, that kind of a have break. Have a break, have a yeah. Kit Kat, exactly. That's it, that's it. So, uh, yeah, how's it all going your end? It's good, thanks, man. I mean, I'm sort of technically on holiday, but, you know, this is a, a pleasure, so I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. Which means that I... <laughs> listen, you should be very flattered indeed. I am. I am. But, uh, yeah, it was good. I mean, I caught quite a lot of the Premier League action over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I mean, I enjoyed what happened at Old Trafford enormously. I did too, but I was also concerned by it. Um, yes, you know, I, I read your blog this morning yeah. about you know what is happening to our game our, effectively, our beautiful game that has been so pure <laughs> and and you know, know well run for many years, and now it's just a shambles, a travesty. Like I loved it too. I mean, I think you know it's hilarious to see Manchester United get a penalty given against them in the first place, considering how many they get. It's never a penalty, and then uh, it's saved, and then it's retaken, and then they score. I mean, you can't help but laugh at Manchester United. There was a great clip of that Manchester United guy, you know, the video guy that does sits there watching yeah, oh, the game. That dude. Yeah, that guy. And he was he was going crazy when De Gea saved it. He was going like, yeah, take that, you you people who don't like David De Gea. I love him. He's great. He's the best. Go fuck yourselves. And then he was like, oh, bloody hell, no. <laughs> no, this is... So, I mean, you know, it adds layers to the enjoyment when things like that play out online but part of me is sort of going "Eh, yeah at some point we're gonna be in that situation and we are not gonna like it and i think the handball rule in particular is such a load of bollocks these days Mm. that Mm. um you know i i just fear you know we're gonna get we're gonna get smited by this 
regulation. Um, well, I thought, didn't we see some of the inconsistency in action, you know, between the United game and our game? In terms of, I thought their handball was crazy harsh. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if that's a handball, presumably what Gabrielle did is also but a how could But how could what Gabrielle did be a handball? Because he's sort of jumping forward and he, you know, he missed times or, or whatever. His arms are out because nobody can do anything with their arms by their sides apart from doing an impression of a penguin. That is literally the only thing you can do as a human being with your arms by your side or stand to attention if you're in the army or the Boy Scouts or whatever or in boarding school, whatever the fuck, right? So Mm. you have to use your arms to jump and I think it hit him there's this new rule now the t-shirt rule or whatever the fuck they call it that if it, it's if it's above the the line of the shirt or whatever I don't know how the fuck they're doing this so I don't I don't really understand sleeves are going to get longer on football kits exactly so long there. kits all the way yeah I mean I don't really understand how or why that should be a penalty if, you know I, I think there's we have I to agree be able, with you, by the way. But sh- yeah, surely we have to be able, as football fans, as officials, to recognise that something is uh, accidental and doesn't merit a penalty. Because, you know, it is a really harsh punishment. If you're standing there, you're a defender, and you're sort of running back with a guy, and your arms are kind of, you know, out because that's just the way it is, and a guy kicks a ball into your arm from two feet away... And the punishment for that is essentially the clearest goal-scoring chance you can have in football. That doesn't seem right to me. As amusing as it is when it happens to Manchester United, it feels like the the, the punishment is completely disproportionate to the incident. It's the same as like a guy going into the box and basically getting tripped up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work for me. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree, and I don't think that should have been a penalty against Lindelof. I am on record as not liking the application of the technology, um, mm. and nothing's changed there. I mean, I had texts off people this weekend during games, you know, football fans, people who really love football, and I know not everyone feels this way, but saying, "Crush, what the hell is going on here? You know, what what is happening?" And and I kind of. But sympathise with that position. What about I mean, the yeah? Similarly. What about the De Gea thing? I mean, what, where do we where do we stand on this? Where where why why is VAR being used to implement a rule when VAR was introduced as a way of getting rid of clear and obvious errors? Was that not the the, the thinking behind VAR? Yeah, I mean, I forget which pundit it was who said this but it was someone who takes penalties it might have actually been Danny Murphy and he said something like if the goalie comes off his line the maximum distance he's coming off his line is like a foot and as a penalty taker it just wouldn't bother me remotely Mm. um and, you know, I get that. If a goalie rushes six yards out before making the save, I remember Deeds doing that, I think, for AC Milan <laughs> once. Um, that's a bit different. But, I mean, when it is literally a centimetre, it does seem absurdly finickety. I know not everyone feels that way. Yeah. And there'll be people saying, the rules are the rules, the laws are the laws. Um, and that's kind of fair enough. But I just find it needlessly petty. Yeah, I mean... It boils down to this for me. Like, it's difficult enough for a goalkeeper. You know, take a good penalty and you score. That's the bottom line. Mm. If you take a good penalty, you're 12 yards out, you score. 
Um, this makes it even more difficult for, for goalkeepers, um, in my opinion. And yeah, I just... Like a guy's- it, is, it is a lot of this stuff is weighted towards goals, isn't it? Yeah, it's saying let's have more penalties, let's have let's more goals, have more goals. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also found it weird, by the way, and this mm. is sort of might seem strange, but I found it kind of odd that if you miss a penalty and it gets retaken, you could change the taker. I thought I think that that sits a bit uneasy with me as well. It feels like oh, make, kind of misses the point. Make the guy do it again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, if you're going to introduce weird, arbitrary rules about how far a goalkeeper can come off his line, and you know, video technology looking at that, make the same guy do it. I think that's fair. I think that's right. That said, uh, pa- uh, Palace would have beaten United anyway because United were really. Funnily bad. They were. It was an enjoyable uh, win for Crystal Palace. But uh, maybe we'll talk about something else in relation to that in a while. We should talk about Arsenal and talk about a 2-1 win over West Ham. Um, We were quite bad too. (laughs) We were. We were not great, in fairness. Um, I don't think we were quite as bad as I thought when we were watching it, but... It still wasn't good. I mean, I think there were some issues that were very, very obvious um, within the within the game. And I, I enjoyed Mikel Arteta afterwards saying, I'm very pleased with the result, but in terms of the performance, there are many things that we need to work on. I found that honesty refreshing and endearing. And, you know, it's it's... It's often the case that a manager will know fine well that his team has played poorly. But come out and say something like, um, yeah, well, you know, we, we were very positive. The boys put in the hard work, you know, and we got repaid for our efforts. We kept going right to the end, didn't let our heads drop, the character, the team, blah, blah, blah. And they never addressed the fact that there were elements of the performance or elements of the game where where it was just terrible. Didn't Unai Emery say something like that after a really bad performance? And he said, well, the game plan worked exactly how we wanted. Something like that. You know, that kind of nonsense that nobody needs. So I enjoyed that from Arteta. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. And I also found it interesting that he said uh, that the week's training was kind of the best he'd seen. So, you know, I felt like there was a bit of surprise from him in in, in mm. spotting as much negativity as he did. But I, you know, I enjoyed that. I mean, something Uno Emery did often was kind of deflect the poor performances. Um, and the first half, you know, was very stodgy. Periods of the second half were stodgy too. But we got the result. And, you know, Arteta made the point, this is a game that last season we'd probably draw or we'd probably lose. Yeah. Uh, And the fact we managed to get over the line is pretty significant. And you could see that in the celebrations at full time. You know, this win meant a lot to Arteta because ultimately it's three points from a situation where we didn't necessarily do enough to deserve them. Yeah, that's true. And I think that I think there's some um there's something to that in the sense that he's right to to point out that we didn't play well, that there are things to improve, that you know, the way we used the ball wasn't good enough. I think that's what he said. It, you know, the training was the best week's training I've had since we came here in the first 15 minutes was the worst we've been on the ball since I arrived. So, you know, he wasn't blind to that, but I also do think there is something to what he says about last season. This is a game we would have drawn. We would not have um, found that winning goal or you know as happened at Brighton 
towards the end of last season, we let one in right at the end, mm. and West Ham did have chances. So I think we have to as well give some credit to West Ham for a performance which made things very difficult for us. You know, they matched us in terms of formation, so they were yeah. set up in a way which was going to make life really difficult for us. You could see from the very start that they were trying to block off passing lanes. Sabayas and Shaka found it difficult, um, you know, I think in, in the early stages in particular. So, you know, as poor as we were, sometimes we don't take into account the performance of the opposition. I'm not saying West Ham were brilliant, but I think the way that they played, and if you're, you know, a manager, of, I know David Moyes, people have a laugh at David Moyes and everything else. But, you know, he's a very experienced manager. He knows Arteta. He knows how to set up a team to make life difficult for the opposition. I think he did that to an extent um, with the way he, he sent his team out. Yeah, I thought they did deploy pretty smartly. They deployed like a team who'd watched us against Fulham pretty closely. And, you know, their front three were quite narrow, so they were quite congesting that central area, mm. blocking off passing lanes. They also, you know, Fulham neglected to use Mitrovic against Arsenal, mm. which the more you look at it, the stranger a decision it becomes. Yeah. Uh, West Ham, I mean, to be honest, even if Antonio hadn't played, it would have been Haller, who's not bad at that. But Antonio is a real battering ram up front. I mean, he's, he's a good player. He's quick. Yeah, he is. And he, he, he tests centre-halves every time. Um, I think it's encouraging that he was pulling onto holding whenever he could because I think it shows you that, that Gabriel could kind of go toe-to-toe with a player like that. Mm. Um, but he caused us problems on the counter-attack as well. So West Ham were decent and will probably feel a bit hard done by, but obviously we don't care. Mm. No, of course, we don't care about the opposition. <laughs> and, you know, again, we're here trying to find the balance between performance versus result. It's early in the season. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, and I'm also aware of the fact that there were times when we got good results under Unai Emery and we expressed concerns about the level of performance. So, you know, it's trying to find the balance when we come mm. to the analysis. But what I would say is this. Um, the first thing that occurs to me, well, I mean, just in terms of the lineup, I don't think it was a surprise to see Saka starting at home and Sabayas coming in for Al Nenny. Not a surprise either, mm. given we were at home. Beyond that, anything in the starting lineup that, that surprised you? I mean, well, a, apart from the injury, which I'm going to talk to you about now in in the war. Well, yeah, that go on then. That would be that would be, uh, uh, you know, I think that was a factor in how much we struggled in the first half. Now, this is a really interesting aspect of how we play uh, in this system under Mikel Arteta. Kieran yeah. Tierney is really good. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves Kieran Tierney, and we can see what a difference he makes when you put a player like Kalasinac in, who just simply cannot do 20% of the stuff that Tierney does when it comes to using the ball and getting us going forward. And there's a, there's a sort of... Um, he, he feels like a very in, inhibited player because I think he, he plays it a lot more safe now in terms of possession. Kolasinac, which means he goes backwards a lot more. Yeah. Um, but Kieran... His, his confidence probably isn't all that either because he, sure. I think he probably senses he's on the way out. And to be honest, even when it is up, he's just not a great technical footballer. No, I mean, look, I think if you get him running down the left-hand side in that left wing-back position, head down, charging at the... the the opposition right back or whatever it might be, you know, he can be effective and, and was effective for a time, wasn't he? Um, mm. Maybe last season or, or the season before, we were using him as basically our only creative outlet, which when you think about it now is just 
crazy. But there you go. That's <laughs> that's what it was. And to be fair to him, he did quite well. And I think in those kind of circumstances, you can get stuff out of him. But in this particular role, I think what was really striking about the performance on Saturday was just how fundamental Tierney is in the system that Mikel Arteta wants us to play uh, with this back three and how he uses, uh, you know, the, the various pieces within that back three. So by being really good, Kieran Tierney has kind of created a problem in a way because he's so particular. He is the only guy in the squad who can really do that job as it stands. Well, he plays two positions, basically, yeah. in the course of 90 minutes. He plays as the third centre-half and as the left-back when we were in possession. Um, Klasnach, you know, can barely manage one. And uh, it, it was a huge, huge blow because suddenly you've got Klasnach there. He's not very progressive on the ball and the patterns of play are disruptive. And actually, you know, as much as I was like... It, Pleased to see Saka come in. It's a really hard game to analyse this because I kind of felt that without Tierney and Maitland-Niles on that kind of left-hand axis of the team, I felt like it was almost too disruptive and we really sort of struggled to get any kind of momentum going because that's a really important side for our build-up usually. However... Sacco played as a left wing back and overall I thought didn't have an amazing game by playing in that position got into advanced areas where he made the difference and kind of won the game yeah. for us so it's kind of tricky to analyze and similarly you know in the first half our central midfield I thought were really really poor um but I thought in the second half they kind of stepped it up and Savas ends up getting the assist for the winner. So some some of the things that I looked at during the game was like, ah, this is a real problem, actually. Yeah. In a weird way, kind of turned out, you know, helping us win. Well, I mean, yeah, look, I think what you're saying is that, that players who didn't have great games overall still produce moments which helped us win mm. the game. What's really interesting, when you look at the first goal again, I watched it back this morning, Um Saka, a, a couple of times within that spell of possession, is the furthest man forward yeah. for Arsenal. And he sort of hangs on the shoulder of the last defender, then drops back into midfield, and then we work the ball around again, and he hangs on the shoulder and then drops back into midfield, which is where ultimately he picks up a, a pass from Shaka. Um, I don't know if you spotted this, but, you know, Shaka. Not that he's easy to play against, but you know he likes the ball on his left foot. So you I can organize yourself. Yeah. So he takes the ball and he plays a right-footed pass through to Saka, mm. who then plays it through to Aubameyang to Lacazette goal. But he's sort of what's interesting about that is that the Shaka plays that pass before the West Ham uh, midfielders look to close him down on his left foot. Yeah, he, it's really unusual, but it's a, it is a line splitting pass from Shaka's right foot. So, and, uh, and should... what's sorry, to, uh, what's quite interesting about it is um, you can sort of it's very noticeable that he plays it with his right foot because you know the way sometimes <laughs> when you play the ball with your wrong foot, you know your 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 legs don't quite go the same way. It's it yeah, just sort of yeah, sticks yeah. out a bit. It's quite funny. It is. It, it, it's uh, well. It's remarkable in that it's, it's not something we see too often. So let's celebrate it when we do. Mm. Saka takes it brilliantly, and actually, the way Saka plays that through ball is actually quite impressive because mm. the ball kind of skips away from him a little bit, and it's almost between his feet, and he manages to kind of get behind it and squeeze it through. Um, it's quite impressive feat of coordination and balance. And you're right to point out his position. I mean, actually, at Fulham. 
you know, Maitland-Niles was sometimes getting into those areas, but something we've seen with Maitland-Niles is that obviously while he gives you so much defensively, you know, he's not brilliant receiving the ball back to the goal on the turn 30 yards from the opposition goal. Saka mm. is so much better there. Finds Aubameyang. Brilliant, brilliant pick out from Aubameyang. Mm. Uh, and Lacazette finishes the header very, very nicely. But a, a great spot from Aubameyang who sort of sees the run at the near post, delays, mm. sees where Lacazette's going and puts it into the perfect area. It's a great cross with his wrong foot as well. Yeah. So we go. A few wrong feet involved in that one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a really nice goal, actually. And I thought, oh, uh, here we go. But it, it, while we did improve after that, I still don't think we were anything like our full potential. Yeah, look, I don't think anybody really played particularly well overall. Um, you know, Willian, as good as he was against Fulham, I, I think struggled um, to mm. find those combinations on the right-hand side. And maybe it was to do with the way West Ham were set up. But I, I thought he played... He- he played a bit more centrally, um, if I'm remembering it right, and he just didn't yeah. look quite uh, on his toes at times. I don't know what that was. I know what you mean, particularly in the first half. In the second half, interestingly, he was turning up on the left-hand side mm. a lot of the time. We were really overloading that side. You know, mm. It became like four players on that flank at one point. Just going back to Tierney and him being absent and how much it affected us, did you think, were you surprised that Arteta went for Kolasinac? Did you think there was another option? Could he have brought Louise in and tried to put Gabriel in that Yeah. Area? I mean, that was, I saw a lot of people wondering why he didn't play Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And I was, well, you know, Maitland-Niles is not a left-sided centre-back. You know, uh, Tierney has to fulfil two roles mm. in the team. So Maitland-Niles could play out on the left-hand side and has played left-back. But it's a, di- it's a very different thing to play uh, and quite a specialised thing to play in that left-centre-half role. So, you know, yeah, he could have brought Louise in. I just can only assume that there's an issue with Louise's fitness. He wasn't confident, perhaps, that he would have lasted yeah. the 90 minutes. And again, it, it highlights just how um, unique Tierney's skill set is in this particular squad. Because even if you did bring Louise in, you play Gabrielle on the left-hand side of a back three, you can't play the same way. So I'm really curious as to what the long-term plan is here. Like, is Tierney... Is Tierney going to be our left-sided um, uh, centre-back or is he going to be a left-back, left-wing-back? If he's that, then we've got players who can play in that position because Maitland-Niles can do it, Saka can do it. If you play with a Gabriel or Pablo mm. Marie, for example, as your left-sided centre-half in a back three, it's a different role completely surely you yeah. cannot ask those guys to do what Tierney does because you know they're bigger they're not as mobile they can't get up and down the pitch as, as well as he can so it would require a kind of a shift in terms of the implementation of that system it'll be the same system but just we do things slightly differently yeah it's a really good point I mean in my mind when I kind of envisaged just line up with this back three I was kind of thinking well maybe Gabrielle could be, you know, the left side of centre half at times, or maybe Pablo Marie could be. But when you think about what Tierney does, when Arsenal are in possession, he often ends up kind of as an overlapping fullback. It's very difficult to envisage Pablo Marie storming into the, you know, the yeah. opponent's half to swing in crosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe Maitland Niles could be coached to do it. Maybe, mm. but I think it's, you know. Half the time you're defending the width of your own penalty area. It involves marking, offside traps, aerial yeah. ability. 
it, it feels a stretch right now. So yeah, he he is kind of uh, irreplaceable at Tierney right now. Um, and I mean, I, unfortunately, that's what happens when you get really really good players. Um, they become really difficult to replace. Yeah. What about the West Ham? Equaliser. I mean, we probably could have done with someone like a Tierney in that situation too. Yeah, look, I was sitting there and, you know, I'm, I'm watching the game on my own and I'm doing the live blog and I'm shouting at the television like mm. anyone can hear me, but I was just shouting at them, you know, stop backing off, stop backing off. Um, so I think we could have done more to, um, to close uh, the West Ham attack down. I mean, I think what Arteta will look at um, is the fact that this goal came from an Arsenal attack, which broke down on the edge of their box. Uh, Bellerin had played a really nice ball out to Willian on the right-hand side, and he was looking, I think, for Saka in the middle. Um, and it broke down, and from there, you know, West Ham had a lot of time and a lot of space. It was a bit too easy. So, you know, there's part of me thinking we should have taken a yellow card and just taken a foul and stopped the move uh, higher up the pitch. Maybe Shaka could have done that. Of course, Shaka mm-hmm. would then be criticised all over the place for, you know, a clumsy Shaka tackle moment, even though I would have been absolutely fine with it. I think Kalasinac was really poor, didn't get anywhere um, near the guy crossing. And Rob Holding in the middle, um, I saw people questioning his positioning and I thought, well, that's not right. His positioning is good. Um, in terms of where he needs to be, you know, he's got the man, he's goal side of the man, and he can see what's happening. He just stops um, mm-hmm. at some point and, and pauses, and maybe he's thinking about offside, but he just didn't react quickly enough. He needed to be closer to the man to prevent the, the chance. So poor defending overall. Yeah, exactly. The guy gets across him. But I, I think Shaka and Kalasinac continue to back off is sort of the, the criminal factor there. Mm. Um and yeah, it put West Ham back in the game. It dramatically changed David Moyes' half-time team talk, you imagine. But maybe, in a way, it kind of gave Arsenal mm. a bit of a kick up the arse too. And, uh, Did yeah, it, though? Second. Did it? <laughs> Did it? Really? Uh, I can't remember, truth be told. I was, I was thinking, well, you know... Um the drinks breaks, which used to be so effective for Mikel Arteta, he's only got one of those now and it's half time. So I was looking for That's Arsenal to, point, you know. to really be, you know, at it in the second half. But I don't think we were. I mean, there were moments and, um, you know, we had plenty of the ball, but I just wasn't quite there in terms of, of how we performed. And certainly West Ham had some moments of real danger. Oh, um, hit did. the bar. Leno landed on his face on the ball. That, that was scary looking. It I mean, was. he could have really hurt himself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, and that was sort of accidental because I think he went over the back of was it Gabriel? Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, there were some moments when West Ham caused us problems. We can't be blind to that. I mean, um, the attempts uh, stats kind of tell their own story to an extent, don't they? I mean, Arsenal's were pretty low for a home team and, and West Ham significantly higher. Yeah. I think the XG was not quite so dramatically weighted in one side. But, right. Um, yeah, they certainly had, uh, you know, a few attempts on our goal. Right. So um, the other thing I suppose that, that struck me about this game, this performance overall, um, as Shaka and Ceballos... Um, there's a good video actually doing the rounds of, of Shaka, and I think you tweeted it. Or it's mm. on your timeline anyway, and I looked at it as well. Shaka in the second half, um, 
and I think you had said better than you remember, and that's absolutely true. He he was better than I remembered, but yeah, also I feel same. like that particular partnership with Jack and Sabias, I think it works, and when it works, it, it it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty good, mm. but it's not any better than pretty good. And I feel like in games like this, we need more than pretty good. Now, we dug it out. We got the goal, and we'll talk about the goal in a minute. But it really hammered home to me the need for something else in midfield. And Mm -hmm. it was quite interesting, or whatever way you want to frame this in your own mind, you and everyone listening, that when, or just before, the goal that won the game ultimately, we were about to bring on Mohamed Elneny for Danny Ceballos. Now that, you know, is not a slight on Elneny in any way, shape or form, but it tells you something about the midfield options that Mikel Arteta feels he has available to him at this moment in time. It does, and actually, something I was going to say in part, sort of, you know, discussing the first half, was that this game made me miss players that I shouldn't miss. So I found myself watching the first half, thinking, I, I really wish, you know, David Luiz was out there because it would give us a bit more variety from the back. And I actually found myself wishing that Mohamed El Nenny was out there in the first half because Sabios, well, I think he is a better player than El Nenny. I'm mm. not crazy. Um, Elneny's passing against Fulham, and granted there was a bit more space to do it, was actually relatively progressive. He looked forward a lot more than we're used to seeing him do. Uh, and I felt like Sabios in the first half really wasn't offering that. And yeah, so when that change was being made, I was kind of like, yeah, well, that's sort of fair enough. But I agree with you. It's not an inspiring change and it's not one that you think, well, this is really going to crank up the pressure and help us no, win the game. No, I think what Ceballos was guilty of in the first half in particular was just that thing that he does where, where he takes too many touches yeah. before he uses the ball. Slows and it down. Yeah, slows it down a bit too much. And, and that, along with my personal bugbear of players not passing the ball hard enough to each other, um, you know, just sort of rolling the passes and we'll move it across mm. and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know... What Ceballos showed um, for the goal and, uh, you know, I think afterwards as well, you know, he made a big contribution to the goal, obviously, with the assist. But I think as well, there was a really important moment after we'd scored, probably in injury time. I can't remember what it was, but West Ham had come down the right-hand side, our right-hand side, crossed back into the box, a low ball for a guy to have a shot. And Ceballos nipped in and got the ball and got a kick at, at the same time. So, yeah. you know, he didn't have a great game overall. But uh, as you pointed out earlier, there were moments where, um, you know, he, he proved uh, very valuable and made a big contribution to the result. He's a fighter, isn't he? And I, I yeah. do like that. But there's a nice moment on the left touchline, wasn't there, where he kind of went to ground but managed to keep the ball in play, sort of fell and hooked it down mm. the line. Um, you know, he, he is someone who has a very obvious passion in the way he plays. And it kind of, I like the way that he expresses that. And I thought, you know, he, made, he did make really telling contributions. I mean, in, in the second half, I mentioned this earlier, but we were looking to overload that left hand side. William was heading over there. Kalasinac was much higher up. Uh, Saka was sort of tucked in field mm. a bit. Um, and, and the goal when it comes is, is good again. I mean, it's a really lovely pass from Saka, you know, for the second time in the game. You know, 
Erzalesque, you'd have to say, you know, splitting the defence and playing Sabayosi into square for Nketiah. Yeah, I was I'm- terrified it was offside, I must say. Yeah, I was a little bit, but um, yeah, I'm just just watching it again here. Sabias or Saka picking it up from Sabias. There's about four West Ham defenders, I think, in front of Saka, and he manages to kind of see the round, find the space. Yeah, it's quite a. I'm not sure Sabias necessarily expected all the West Ham players to run away from him because they all go like school kids towards the ball. He just right. kind of keeps running beyond, um, rather than. Uh, you know, he's not actually making a run and going, give me the ball, give me the ball. It's not one of those runs. He just kind of runs feet. beyond. Yeah. And right. then all of a sudden it opens up for him. And, you know, uh, it was a lovely pass by Saka. So, you know, involved in, in uh, two goals. Um, not going to go down the whole pre-assist uh, route, but, you know, big contributions. And uh, Eddie Nketiah, penalty box, you expect yeah. him to? From the yeah. angle you're looking at, I can see why you would think it was offside because he does look ahead of uh, ahead of Sabias and ahead of the ball. Yeah. But you know when it comes around the other way, uh, no, he, he controls it pretty well. I mean, obviously, and it's a it's a gift once it's in, on a plate like that from mm. Sabias. And funny, wasn't it that it was those two combining after what we saw before the Fulham game as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that was resolved pretty quickly, um, as as I think they both said, um, and. They both wanted to play. That's why they were frustrated. And in the next game, Sabias has got an assist and Enkedi has got uh, a goal, a winning goal for us. So, you mm. know. Uh, really valuable, that yeah. goal. Really valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's the difference on the night. And um, yeah, look, I mean, that three points is, is big because Arsenal have got, you know, a, tough, a couple of tough games mm. this week. They've got Leicester and, and then Liverpool on the Monday, actually, it is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, getting Leicester's in the cup, admittedly, but, you know, six from six from the opening two Premier League games, especially when you haven't played very well in one. I mean, that's the thing. You want to maximise points when you play well, of course, but if you can mm. take points when you don't, that's really going to help because there are going to be games like this where it doesn't click, where it doesn't happen. Even with you know, with the best will in the world, when the training has gone brilliantly, sometimes it will just not work. Mm. And if you can win in that scenario, you're in a decent place. Yeah, look, you have to be able to dig out results like that. And that's something Arteta said as well, that you are going to get games like this. You have to somehow find a way of winning. And again, it comes back to, you know, how much stock you put in the result versus the performance and and everything else. But, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to dig out wins is a a good thing. It's a positive thing. And I think uh, we've made this point before. Certainly, as we sit here after the game and we analyze every aspect of it and every aspect of the performance, I don't think players do. I mean, I'm not uh, blind to the fact that Mikel Arteta is going to sit them down and go over some of the shit that (laughs) didn't go well against West Ham. They're not going to be ignorant to that fact. But I think when you're playing... Uh, you're looking first and foremost at the result. You're taking the confidence and the belief from the result much more than the performance, I think. So, you know, it will be a confidence boost to the players, uh, to the goal scorer, to Enkedia, to Ceballos getting an assist. And, you know, there is something to be said for that for that character. I think what, what was interesting as well, one of the other things Arteta said was, um, I think he said, basically, sometimes you need games like this. As well as having to win them and having to do, he says, sometimes you need games like this to sort of look at, okay, well, how do we, how do we manage? How do we cope with things like this? And, and maybe 
Um, we needed something like this so he can sit down and think, well, how do I do what I want the team to do without a key piece of it in, in the shape of Kieran Tierney? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's illustrated an issue and it'll be fascinating to see how he deals with that going forward. I mean, from what we hear, Tierney's uh, absence was precautionary, right? Mm. There was no kind of major injury concern there. But, you know, he's a player who unfortunately has a history of injuries. Touch wood, that Mm. doesn't rear its head this season, but it could. So it's something to consider. Yeah, I mean, I was... Were you maybe a little bit surprised that as the game went on, we didn't think about changing the formation? Mm. In going to, you know, going to a back four... And you could have Gabriel holding Bellerin and, and Saka. Obviously, yeah. Kolasinac would have been the guy to come off. And then you could put the extra player on in midfield. Even if it was Elneny, you could push Ceballos further forward. We had Pepe, of course. You could have kept Willian on. Um, I thought that might happen. I thought Pepe might come on and play, you know, next to Willian. And we might go to a four and, and mm. add an extra attacking player there. Um, yeah, I did consider that. And it's interesting that that isn't the change that was made. I, you know, I feel like at the back end of last season we were really thinking, well, sooner sooner or later it's going to be about four. Mm. And I feel like the the <laughs> the longer it goes, the more I'm thinking later it's going to be about four. It does feel like later. I mean, maybe he just you know feels like the team are more comfortable in this particular setup or they're more well drilled in this particular setup. But he was talking beforehand about. Uh, I think he did a big interview with Sky Sports about you know, having tactical variation and not being predictable. And I'm not saying we are necessarily predictable, although, you know, West Ham set up their team with the knowledge, more or less, that we were going to, you know, send our team out the way that we did, Mm. you know. So maybe there is something to work on in in that sense. Yeah, I mean, Arteta will probably say, well, look, when we have the ball, it is about four, you know, Uh, and Mm. I do understand that. But I did just think we might overload an attacking player by getting Pepe on a bit higher with with Willian still there. But then he went a different way. He overloaded on the left-hand side, Kolasinac, Saka, Mm. you know. uh, And ultimately, that's kind of the half of the pitch that the goal comes from. So he'll feel justified in that. But there will be tactical variation. It was just an interesting case study, wasn't it? Because all the great Arsenal performances we've sort of seen in the past few months have either come away from home in the case of Fulham mm. against a team who you know have plenty of problems themselves or against big sides and this was the kind of quintessential home game against a team who you know are very compact and looking to hit you on the break and can we break them down effectively mm. and actually I, I think that our greatest failure for me was sort of not so much one of system but one of sort of um ideas and patterns in terms of movement and progressing the ball. I just didn't feel that they were there as Mm. much as you would hope. Um, And of course, players can improve that, you know, and signings might improve that. Mm. Uh, But it's just the patterns of play just weren't as sharp as they were against Fulham. And, And this is the test that Arteta needs to overcome, I think, this season, this kind of game. Yeah, but it was only Fulham, remember, and this was West Ham. The mighty West Ham. The mighty West Ham. The hammers themselves. There you go. But look, the main thing is, of course, that we've taken three points, uh, a maximum uh, six from six now from our first two Premier League games. And, you know, that is uh, an important thing. Uh, it's it's easier, isn't it, to 
fix things or to go about your work anyway mm. when when you need to fix things knowing that you've kind of got away with one i think that's what arteta's celebration at the end was it was quite animated for him you know mm. because uh, look i think there was an element of wanting to beat david moyes uh, as much as he has a lot of respect for David Moyes from the time that he worked with him at Everton. That. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think I think there was that was part of it, but I also think it was like, oh fuck, we got away with that one. Thank goodness. You know, I think there was there was an element of that to his celebration, but it, it will make the work a little bit easier knowing that you got the points on the board. Knowing that, like last season, you draw this game or you lose it, and you uh, you drop two points or three points. So, oh, it feels like two free points. It feels like two points <laughs> gained. Absolutely, you know. Mm. And uh, the point about Moyes is a really interesting one. I didn't actually kind mm. of think that they had been sort of you know player and manager at some point, but yeah, he got the better of him. Steve Round as well got the better of his uh, former employer. So yeah. I'm sure they will have enjoyed that too, for sure. All right. Well, look, we will take a break right here. We've plenty more to discuss there's a game in midweek of course in the Carabao Cup so we'll uh, think about the team uh, for that one in part two which is coming right after this your Mouse Jones here one third of the guys next door podcast now listen here with best Christmas ever on AMC plus Every day feels like Christmas morning, from new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics like the Polar Express and The Year Without Santa Claus. You can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. They're all here on AMC+. AMC Plus is available on all your devices, so celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime anywhere make sure you sign up today at amcplus.com amc plus only the good stuff this holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply Welcome back. Oh, oh, sorry. That's I was okay. Making a noise. Sorry again. That, will I go again, or will I just continue? Oh, just to continue, continue the tradition of fucking up the start Show of this. Show that we are human. It's not my fault this time. Welcome it's back. Not always your fault. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash. The Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord channel or Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Now, we have a midweek game, Carabao Cup against uh, Leicester City, away at Leicester City at the, what's it called? The Crispy Stadium, Walker's Crisps Bowl Stadium, yes. King Power Stadium. KP Nuts Stadium. That's exactly it. Um, so we have a question here from Suel Parmar, who's at S Parmar double one oh five. He said, "Goodly morning, chaps. With the Carabao Cup around the corner, how much squad rotation are we expecting? Most likely candidates are Macy, Nelson, and Eddie. But what about Ozil, Genduzi, 
and Socrates. Mm. Mm. I mean, I'll leave it to you, but I mean, there's a you could use a, a fringe team, which is quite a lot stronger than the word fringe would suggest. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'd, I think um, it won't be a, a, a weak side. I think it will be a rotated team. But let's have a look at the subs bench, for example. Um, I think that, you know, Pepe's going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, well, probably everyone who was on the bench in that game has got a chance to play. So I would say Nketiah, uh, probably uh, Joe Willock. Pepe, I'm not sure if Macy will play. There's some talk this morning that maybe um, Renasson could be eligible to play if uh, deal goes through. If the deal goes through, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so maybe he might be a candidate. Uh, beyond that, the three who did you mention? Genduzi, Erzul, Socrates. I mean, there's players who weren't in the squad, like um, Joe Willock was drafted in at the last minute, of course. Mm. Reese Nelson, um, Cedric. So I mean, you could play Macy. Do you think we'll see William Saliba? Because he played with the under twenty threes. I'm going to say Friday. I think we will. Mm. Yeah, I have a feeling you, we might. Yeah, I, I'm more confident we'll see William Saliba than I am that we will see Ganduzi or Erzul. And mm. I'm not saying that means we won't, but I'm just slightly more confident of Saliba. Um, that would suggest to me that if we're going to see Saliba, if he plays, I think it will probably mean that David Luiz would play just to sort of be that experienced guy. To guide him through. Yeah. And maybe Kalasanach will play again if there is any concern over Tierney. Um, I wouldn't risk a- Tierney before Anfield. Exactly. So it's not an appealing prospect to play mm. Kalasinac. Um But, you know, I think it I think it might be the case. Mm. Wingbacks, I think Cedric will play. Yeah, I do. Um, Maitland-Niles on the left? I guess, although I'm expecting him to play at Anfield as well. That would be the only caveat mm. to that. Um, but, you know, he's had a bit of a rest. Uh, he could share the game with somebody. I mean, I'm trying to think beyond that, who else have we got, really? Um, you know, we've got Bowler, but I don't think he's convinced anyone massively at academy level. So, yeah, I think it probably will be maitland Niles Midfield, Elneny's going to play, isn't he? Elneny, Willock, and... I mean, yeah. yeah. That could be... The two. the two. Your front three, I think you'll see Pepe, Nelson and Ketia. That would make sense, given, you know, the way the way they've played. But, of course, you could bring in Genduzi. and could bring in Genduzi. You could bring in, in Mesut Ozil, yeah. So, I mean, do you expect either of those two to be involved? Um, I think if one's got a chance, I think I'd actually say it would be Ozil. Mm. Simply because I feel like... He isn't going anywhere, whereas Ganduzi could still leave in this window. But where um, does Ozil fit in this particular system? Yeah, I mean, probably in this particular system, probably in kind of the role Willian's been playing. Mm. He's kind of tucked in, tucked in inside forward. Um, and actually, you know, that maybe that is sort of the 
the use for him that Arteta will have. Maybe it will be in these cup games to lend a bit of experience, but it wouldn't surprise me either if we get an 18-man squad and he's not in it. You know, just the way it's been going, yeah. you, you, you couldn't be surprised by that. No. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably more or less the team that we'll see. Uh, I don't see the need to risk anybody ahead of... Anfield, give Pepe some playing time. If you have some doubts over Louise's fitness or match fitness, this is a good way of, of giving him that. Um, but I think you you keep as many of your key players out of the squad or on the bench as possible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be also, a stronger this- team than it looks or it sounds, but uh, I still think it'll be heavily rotated. Yeah, and actually, you know, there's nothing to stop you taking a couple of big players on the bench, you know, if, if required. If Because if, Arteta doesn't like to lose any games. You know, I think that's pretty clear. And he mm. generally played stronger sides in the Cups than many expected him to at various different points in it last season. Um, so he might be surprised. There might be, you know, one or two more big names out there that we might not think. But mm. a lot of these players need game time you know you want them to be sharp you want them to be feel like they're part of things as well that's a big thing for Arteta you know someone like Reese Nelson who he can't even get on the bench he's got to do something to make him feel part of it you know yeah and also if you're Nicolas Pepe and you've lost your place in the team having ended last season very well and you've lost your place in the starting 11 to Willian this is an opportunity for you to remind Mikel Arteta that there's you know there's some competition for this particular place yeah, uh, just thinking, you know, about sort of, we're talking about now Nenny and Willock midfield. It wouldn't amaze me if someone like a Granite Xhaka played this game just because of, you know, not having, it, the likelihood of Lucas Torreira not being involved, the possibility of Mateo Guendouzi not being involved. Yeah. The fact that Xhaka is made of metal and plays all the football. Um, <laughs> I think it's a possibility. But, you know, I'm expecting a rotated team. I'm half expecting to go out, to be honest, away to Leicester. Um, Well, Leicester are playing... Could be Man City, if I'm right. Oh, really? At the weekend? I think they're playing Man City at the weekend. So, again, I feel like... Let me have a look at the fixtures here. You're right. They've got Man City away on Sunday. Yeah. So, are they going to risk their best players for that game or do they look at the Man City game as well we're probably not yeah. going to win this anyway so let's you know or or can you even approach a game like that these days in the Premier League I also think Arsenal have got that extra bit of recovery for Anfield you know it is Monday mm. so I do wonder if someone like Shaka and or Louise for example if you're thinking well if Louise comes through this he could be in contention for Anfield he has got time it's a funny injury Louise has got you know, it's a sort of uh, neck injury, I think. And it's something that's going to need a bit of management. You know, I don't think it's a, a quick fix. So that's going to be an interesting one to see how they handle that in mm. the coming weeks. It's interesting because he's been so important, hasn't he, to Arteta. But Gabriel's doing pretty well in that kind of central centre-half spot. Um and I wonder if they'll be a bit reluctant to, in the Premier League at least, take him out while he's kind of developing and performing yeah. well. Um, how do you see that one going between them? Well, I don't know. I mean, Louise's injury is obviously 
uh, a problem in the sense that you know he he's somebody who would be starting um, because Mustafi's out, Chambers is still out, Pablo Marie is still out. So despite the fact we've got a lot of central defenders on our books, we don't have as many to call on as we might like, particularly as I think people have, had expected William Saliba to be, you know, at this point, a giant, a colossus, a uh, defender of all defenders, the friends sure. Beckenbauer of the next generation already acclaimed as the greatest defensive signing that the world has ever seen. So there's a bit of a step back there, a bit of a reality check in terms of Saliba and, and you know, how ready he is or how ready they think he is. So um, we, we had a question, actually, I'll just go on to it from the Discord on, yeah. from 1.76 Acres, who says, so having seen what we've seen from Gabriel in admittedly a small sample, do you stick with him as a regular league starter and accept the mix-ups, rough edges in order to develop someone who looks like a huge upside talent? Uh, he says, line-breaking passes, physical defensive skills, or once more players are healthy, do you slow it down a bit so he gets a, a paced, seemingly deliberate and more sheltered education? So just be before you answer that, though, how, what did you think of Gabriel against West Ham? Uh, I have to say, uh, I wasn't as positive as everybody else. Um, I had a few little concerns about him. I, I feel like he has been good, but he's also been a bit lucky in a couple of moments that could have gone the other way. Um, you know, I think back to those that moment in the first few minutes against Fulham. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of moments of West Ham where I thought, oh, you know, Antonio is difficult and there could have been, it could have gone the other way. I think he's been, what I was impressed by, by the way, I rewatched the kind of highlights of his performance in one of those clipped up YouTube things uh, today mm. against West Ham. And I was surprised watching it back at how good his passing looked and how uh, effective he was at kind of playing passes in between the lines mm. and playing the ball you know, under pressure. I didn't expect that from him, really. And I think that's very reassuring that he's been able to do that. Um, what have you made of him so far? What did you make of him against West Ham? I thought he was okay against West Ham. I think, yeah, there were a couple of moments and there were a couple of perhaps headers where, um, you know, he got under it a little bit, didn't quite judge them correctly. But I think, you know, he had Kalasinac one side of him. He had Rob holding the other side of him, who didn't have a particularly great game either. Yeah. And he's being asked to come in and play, you know, uh, as the centre man in in the um, in the you know the heart of our three man defence, having not played for a long time. So, you know, I I, I don't think he's been perfect, but I didn't think he was bad uh, against West Ham. As to the wider question, though, I'll I'll go back to you on this one. So, you know, if if we've got more players fit and ready. What do you do with Gabriel in Premier League terms? Mm. Uh, yeah, just to add, by the way, while I think he has been good, I am now acutely conscious of the kind of Arsenal trend <clears throat> of new signing being awarded Player of the Month in their first month. You know, and then three <laughs> months later, everyone's like, actually, I don't know if I agree with that anymore. But no, he has been good. But I, yeah, Player of the Month for uh, September, guaranteed. Um, it's really tricky. I keep trying to figure out how to get Louise and Gabriel in the same team. When I was thinking that we'd play about four for the majority of this season, that was kind of my two. I didn't think Saliba would be ready to play, you know, regularly, week in, week out. So I was thinking it'll be Gabriel and Louise. If we stick with three, it becomes trickier, really, because I don't fancy Louise 
in either of those roles in the channels. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. getting run out in the channels by wingers like Tierney has to do. Um, and to an extent, Holding has to do. If you're going to play Louise, he's got to be in the middle there. Mm. I, I wonder if we might see Gabriel... Well, the thing is, I think you can't take him out. I think he is clearly the man for the future. And if he's in good form, it's very difficult to mount a case for, for pulling him out the side. I mean, you know, we all remember David Luiz at Anfield last year. Mm. Maybe we should just be sticking with Gabriel. Well, look, I mean, I think the thing is, he's 22. He's not 18. There's a difference. Yeah. You know, he does have some experience under his belt. Um, you know, who do we have who's got more potential in the squad. That's the thing. You know, Pablo Marie, maybe there might be a, a way of sharing game time with Pablo Marie, but, you know, to be quite honest, we don't really know how good either of these two guys are because we haven't really seen them. Pablo Marie's played, what, twice? Mm. It was third mm. game, maybe, that he got that injury and we haven't seen him. So we haven't really been able to judge him in, in Premier League terms. And Gabriel... He's had two games, two wins. I think he's done pretty well in both of those games, but there's obviously a long way to go, a long season. So I, I think this is one of the, the issues or one of the things that Mikel Arteta is really going to have to think about is how he sets up his defense and, and what way he plays with those players in place. Because as we said earlier, if you've got Tierney in your back three, you can play one way. But if it's Pablo Marie or if it's Gabriel, you've got to play a slightly different way. Yeah, so, I mean, the way I see it, if you're going to play Tierney in that back three, obviously he's got to play that left-sided role. I think if you're going to play Louise, for me, I mean, I, I might be wrong about this, but he, for me, he kind of has to play the central role. Mm. And that leaves you with one berth on the right-hand side, and you don't want to stick uh, Gabrielle in there. So I, I feel like at the moment you are kind of having to choose between Louise and Gabrielle, and maybe we're going to have to move on from Louise in eventually, I mean, almost certainly in 12 months' time. So maybe we should be, if you know, if things are falling out in such a way that's enabling us to do that now, perhaps we should be embracing it. Mm. Okay. Um, which, which I, you know, I thought Louise was going to have a massive role to play this season, and maybe he will. Maybe Gabriel will be pulled out the side, and Louise will play a lot of games. But uh, it is difficult to figure out how he and Gabriel, you know, play together in the current shape. Mm. Um, what about this question, Joshy Guna? who's at Joshy Abbott, says, Morning, guys. With Leno against West Ham, I don't feel like he has the presence or comfortableness, I'm making up words now, on the ball that Emmy had. Do you think this is just from a lack of game time slash gelling with the current back line, or should we be concerned? I don't think he is quite as dominant as Emmy Martinez. And, you know, he's also just a little bit smaller than Emmy Martinez as well. Like, Emmy Martinez think, is a yeah. huge guy. He's a yeah. really big guy. Um, I didn't really think Leno was quite as bad as some people were saying. Mm. Like, I think there were a couple of moments, the bit where he landed on his face on top of the ball, that sure. was a bit like, uh-oh. Um, but as I said, I think that that was a little bit of an accident. He didn't have a huge amount to do. I I, I would have to look at the stats. I mean, what were his passing stats? There was uh, there was one where he punched, and I remember mm, watching it and thinking, uh, Emmy catches that. Yeah, maybe. And I, I, I know people, 
you know, argue for punching and there's a sort of, there's a degree of proof about its efficacy. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I can't lie. I didn't think Leno was bad, but I didn't think he had the same degree of assurance in this game that Martinez had shown in his recent performances. Well, yeah, and people talking about him not being as good on the ball, he'd 90% pass completion. For, that's a goalkeeper. Yeah. You know, he looks less. He looks slightly more awkward on the ball. I think it is a visual thing. I think that his stats and yeah. Martinez's stats measure up pretty well. But just he doesn't look. It, you know how we were talking about when we were saying Shaka when he passes with his right. Mm. You know, sometimes a footballer just looks very comfortable on the ball, and Leno doesn't have that capacity. I don't think. Yeah, he doesn't look quite as assured on the ball as as Emmy did. Um, but it doesn't seem to massively affect his output. But it's 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 sort of a. Uh, I think it's a look thing, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I think there was a question on the. Um, Facebook page as well. Uh, Martin Earl says, is Leno trying a little too hard to dominate the box to show he is as good as Martinez? Um, which might be slightly tongue-in-cheek. But I doubt, you know, he's he's performing in a way It's like, well, I'll show you. I can do what Emi Martinez did. It doesn't matter now because Emi Martinez is gone and he's going to play for, for Aston Villa tonight. We're going to sign uh, Ronnie Runnerson. Um mm-hmm. And maybe the other guy. That was interesting, wasn't it? When Arteta was asked about it at his press conference, you know, if the signing of the Icelandic guy was the end of the 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 pursuit of David Rea, he was like, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the third choice goalkeeper because there is obviously talk that Matt Macy is going to go. So whether they feel they need to bring somebody in or if they're ready to promote one of the guys from from underneath... Um, that was that was yeah. slightly interesting. Maybe not I mean, that interesting now that I said it out loud. No, no, no. I just think we can't uh, underline enough how dogged Arsenal have been in their pursuit of David Raya to the point that they've been told by Brentford, this man is not for sale. Fuck off. They're, they're, just fuck off. I mean, basically, <laughs> yes. And Brentford, ha- you know, when Brentford don't want to sell you a player, they don't do it. They're a pretty well-run club. They made a lot of money out of someone like Ollie Watkins this summer. They- they- ben Rama's probably going to go. They've got no need to do it. Um, and Arsenal have kept knocking on the door, kept trying to find a solution, contemplated, you know, slightly mad-sounding things like loaning him back there for a year. Mm. And, uh, all-, all sorts of stuff because they really, really want the player. And um, yeah, they, they will. I think they'll keep doing that probably until the window shuts because you know Runarsson's coming in, but he's not coming in to great fanfare and at huge expense. And I think you know I, I'm not sure he's coming in with everyone thinking he's going to be a guy that's going to play you know every Europa League game. Yeah. Maybe he will. But maybe he, it feels like he's definitive backup where he is right now. For sure. I think there's something really interesting about this in terms of, you know, how this is happening. And Arteta spoke mm. about it um, over the weekend where he said, you know, obviously it'll be me who makes the decision about who comes in. But he says, you know, when it comes to the goalkeeper, uh, he's talking about Iñaki Kanye Pavon. He's saying he's a big say on how we're going to implement our methodology, how we're going to treat the goalkeeping position. And he said, you know, along the lines of, I want to um, lean on their expertise. Now, the reason this guy, um, Runar Alex Runerson, is coming to Arsenal is because of the relationship he has with the goalkeeping coach. 
Yeah. Right? It's not because he has been performing at such a great level at Dijon that we're going, well, this is a great chance for us to bring in a really, you know, solid number two goalkeeper. He hasn't been solid at Dijon. He's had a really difficult time. Um, I don't know if you listened to the the Ars cast on Friday. Matt Spiro was on and, Mm. you know, was being quite diplomatic, I think, about um, how things have gone for him. Now, it can happen. A player goes to a club, it doesn't really work out. Circumstances, environment, whatever it might be, it happens. He goes to a different club, everything's nicer, better, and he plays uh, better as well. But I think there's a big responsibility now. If Arteta is taking the word of his goalkeeping coach that this guy is good enough to do what we want a goalkeeper to do, which is quite specific now. It's not It's not um, what it used to be. You know, we need the, the guy to be able to play um, out from the back. That's an important part of, of what we want to do. And he's obviously got to do all the other goalkeeping stuff as well. So he's, he's advocating for this guy to come in, despite the fact he's had a terrible time. Mm. There's a, Arteta's got to put a lot of trust in that guy's opinion of this player. And if it doesn't work out, I'm not saying it won't, but if it doesn't, I just think there's an interesting dynamic there. It's a hell of a gamble, yeah, yeah. that Iñaki Kanye is taking by saying, look, I, I vouch for this guy. Particularly yeah. as, as he, uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, he is very, very much um, part of the reason why we are so uh, after David Raya. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a player he admires enormously. They've got a great personal relationship. And actually, I think, you know, everyone looks at Ryan and thinks, OK, he's coming here. If Arsenal get him, he's coming here as a number two. Um, and I think in the first instance, that is true. But I don't think that Iñaki would be pushing so hard for for Raya if he didn't think that he could give Leno a run for his money mm. in the long run. And I think, to be honest, I think what a lot of this is, is about style. So what you and I probably quite like about Emmy Martinez, <laughs> which is his size, his frame, the fact he comes and gets crosses, is probably not necessarily the first things that Iñaki Kanye is looking for. Well, I know that might sound strange, but... I think him and Arteta probably have had conversations about a vision of what a goalkeeper needs to be in this team, a very modern idea. You know, can they come out and play as almost the third centre-half as a sweeper? Did you see how high Leno was? They were talking about it in commentary on on Saturday that Leno was playing really high up the pitch midway through, maybe late in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that Runarsson, for example, is... uh, was quite comfortable doing in his time working with Iñaki Kanya. And I think it's something that they want to implement. I remember when they came back from lockdown, Emmy Martinez gave an interview about what they'd been talking about in lockdown. Mm. He said, you know, the coaching staff have been speaking to us about higher starting positions. Um, and I think we will see more of that. So it, it feels like what's happening here. I mean, Arteta's talked about specificity in the past with the recruitment and it feels like what's happening is there is a very specific idea of the sort of goalkeeper that Arteta and Kanya want to function Mm. in this team. Now, there's still a question of quality and I think it'll be interesting to see if Renarsson's kind of up to the job even though he is sort of stylistically a good fit. Mm. Um, I mean, what do you... How much emphasis do you place on the importance of a good second choice goalkeeper? Because I think that's an interesting debate, and there are people 
who will make the case quite cogently for both sides then yeah i mean look i think more and more there is a there's a desire or we feel better when we've got fail safes mm-hmm. you know as fans we feel better knowing that if leno is injured we've got emmy martinez now yeah. we feel better about that scenario now than we would have done let's say 6 months ago or indeed when leno got injured I don't think there was quite the same assurance in Emmy Martinez, was there? You know, no, so, not. but you know, you get people who say, well, we need a good backup for this player, but then do you need backup for the backup? And that kind of thing, you know? Um, I'm sort of in the middle of it in the sense that I can see and have seen, obviously, in the last few weeks, just what the benefit of having a very good number two goalkeeper can be. Mm. Um, because of what Emmy Martinez did and how he helped us win the FA Cup and everything else. I'm also not blind to the fact that, you know, all going well, your number two goalkeeper is not going to play that often, you know, particularly in Premier League terms. Um, you, you, you're you going to find it really difficult to hang on to two very good goalkeepers. You end up in situations where you're making decisions kind of as favours, for the goalkeepers, I wrote about this at the weekend where, you know, we've had three cup finals where we've played our second choice keeper, which is, it's mad. It yeah. is mad. You know, Chesney is our best goalkeeper and played the 2015 FA Cup final because he was out in the cold because of the smoking thing or whatever the fuck went down there. And Ospina was the Premier League goalkeeper. But mm-hmm. Chesney played in the cup final. Fabianski, like nine years, nine years we hadn't won a trophy. And Chesney was week in, week out, our number one goalkeeper, and we played Fabianski. We got away with it, but, you know, it's still a mad decision. Similarly, 2017, Czech was the number one goalkeeper. We played Ospina. He was terrible for the goal that Chelsea scored, but we got away with it. Mm. And I feel like sometimes if you don't have that decision to make, because there's such an obvious gulf in quality between your number one yeah. goalkeeper and your number two goalkeeper, you're probably better off. So I'm I'm kind of, I'm a little bit stuck on it. Like I, I want us to have a good number two goalkeeper, but I'm not sure in the grand scheme of things, it makes that much of a difference. No, I mean, I always think, you know, Arsenal won the league, didn't we, with, um, you know, Richard Wright, Stuart Taylor, both getting... Premier League medals. Mm. I, I think if you, I think if your outfield players are good enough, I think a goalkeeper can be the difference. But I think if your outfield players are good enough, it's generally okay. I mean, Adrian played a fair bit of football for Liverpool last season. And they won the league. I think if you, if it comes down to a choice between a starting central midfielder and a second choice goalkeeper, there is no choice. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is, I think, the sort of position Arsenal are in. So that's kind of. The way I the way I see it, mm. um, interesting though, and and yeah, interesting to see who plays. I mean, there's there's not a lot of confidence, I don't think, internally in Matt Macy. He is kind of headed for the exit, so it'd be interesting if if he does play on Wednesday. I mean, I guess a great opportunity for him to put himself in the shop window. Uh, um, yeah, let's have another question. Uh, okay. Mario Silva. Oh, by the way, just quickly, when Leno fell down and obviously nearly broke his neck, I was thinking, can you believe it? The, the week we've sold Emmy Martinez. <laughs> the week Leno's we've still. sold it, burned Leno gets paralysed. <laughs> yeah, I know, genuinely, that's what I was thinking. Only um, at Arsenal. So Mario Silva says, does it worry you that in Torreira we are letting go of a player who's not tapped into his whole potential 
too soon. I mean, if Atletico want him, he's got to be a good player, right? What are your thoughts? Mm. Am I worried that we are letting go of a player who hasn't released or realised his potential? No, not really. Um, Which isn't to say I don't think Torreira is a good player. I just don't think Torreira and Arsenal fit. Um, Which is unfortunate, uh, but that happens sometimes. I'm not sure Torreira feels that comfortable at Arsenal slash in England, whatever that might be. Um, You know, he, he... He's had some injury problems, of course, uh, and I think he would prefer to leave to go somewhere else. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about that aspect of it, you know. All signings are gambles, and sometimes a player who you bring in just won't do it at your club, and he needs a change to go and do it somewhere else. Where I mean, look look at Mo Salah, for example, uh, at yeah. Chelsea, or look at Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, also at Chelsea. It's quite funny when it happens to Chelsea. Um, you know, who, who went <laughs> yeah. somewhere else and then, you know, came back and were better players. I don't think that's going to be the case with Torreira because I think he, he sort of suits continental football, Latin football perhaps a bit more, you know, than he does the Premier League, um, where I think the size issue is a bit more of a thing than it would be in Spain and Italy. Um, my concern would be that we don't get value for um for him when he goes mm-hmm. you know i've seen some of the talk about atletico madrid and i have a question here actually um which i'll ask you in a second but you know one year loan deals loan deals with x amount and this amount from from italy i mean i think there is an issue as well with the the, the player side of things he earns well at arsenal and it's not quite as easy to earn as well um, at some of the clubs that he's been linked with. You know, Fiorentino or Torino, for example, aren't going to be able to pay no. what Arsenal pay. And that is a, a consideration. That's part of the problem. So in the current market, with the way we need to generate funds, my concern isn't so much Torreira's departure. It's that we get the right value for it. Yeah. And at the moment, the discussions with Atletico are about a loan deal. Um we don't know yet if that could be, you know, a loan with uh, an obligation or mm. a loan with a, an option. Um, but, you know, that does... I, I mean, people were unhappy about that when I tweeted it last night because, you know, they want to see us getting money that we can use immediately. It may be that if we've offered some sort of guarantee or possibility of money down the line, uh, that that may free up Arsenal to spend some more money in the short term. I don't know how the mm. club's finances will be structured, but that's you know not impossible. I don't really worry about letting him go. I think if it, when I look at how certain players have um, benefited from Mikel Arteta's presence at the club, I know Torreira had his injury, but I kind of feel like if it was going to happen for him at all at Arsenal, I feel like it would have happened to an extent with Arteta. Mm. You know, even when Tierney was out injured, Arteta was kind of raving about him. You know, there's never really been that with Torreira. Um, and I think you were right to make the point about he's not settled in England. Actually, one of his big mates at the club is Emi Martinez. Yeah. He's just left. Uh, you know, I do think going to a Latin environment probably is going to suit him better. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that it's Atletico who are after him. They obviously have a, a midfielder who we have yeah. been after. Well, you know. Yeah. 
CJ90 on the Discord says, Atletico Madrid want Torreira, Arsenal want Partey. What am I missing here? Can't both <laughs> players be incorporated into some form of swap deal between the two clubs? This one should be easy. You would like to think so. I mean, l- listen, just because they're discussing a loan with Torreira does not mean they're not discussing a permanent deal with Partey. Sometimes, in, as a sweetener or to make negotiations go a bit easier, you might relax the terms of one deal to help you do another. We've seen that in mm. this window plenty of times already this season. Players who aren't necessarily moving in part exchange, but who swap clubs. I'm thinking, you know, maybe Jota went to... Liverpool, and they sent their young Dutch centre-half, whose name escapes me now, to Wolves in a permanent deal. They yeah. were separate deals, but they kind of sat down at the table and hammered them out together. Everybody yeah. wins. Maybe something like that could happen with Torreira. It's, it's more difficult when one of those, uh, one half of that deal is just like a loan for a season. Yes, it is. It is. And it's more difficult... I mean, you know, Atletico ultimately don't want to lose party, or if they do, they want, you know, the full amount. Um, I still think they think, I imagine they think, that, you know, Arsenal could turn up with that money on deadline day. You know, and, and, and that's the problem with that negotiation, is that ultimately there is a there is an amount you have to pay to get him and Atletico probably suspect Arsenal will become desperate enough that they might do it. Yeah, but isn't the the whole point of the release clause that you have to pay the whole thing mm. in one yeah. go? So A, Arsenal have to are going to have to sell. They're going to have to sell to raise that kind of money. That's obvious. Mm. Um, are they going to splash all that money if they have 50 million in cash, are they going to spend it all on one player when with 50 million liquid, you could do quite a bit in the transfer market if you're spreading out fees and, and everything else Very across, yeah. across uh, you know, a number of seasons. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it does feel like the kind of thing that two plus two equals four. Torreira's going one way. I'm not saying they're the same kind of player, but, you know, central midfielder in, central midfielder yeah, yeah. out. It does make a lot of sense, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's just rare. It's just rare, isn't it, that these deals kind of Mm. with true swaps involved work out. And the reason Atletico, by the Mm. way, are holding out for that money is because they want that money. You know, 50 million euros or whatever it is up front in cash to get that in the midst of coronavirus and everything Mm. else that's going on would be a lottery win for them yeah. as, as much as they value party. So, uh, you know, this is going to play on and play out, but Torreira is going to go. It's just a question of how Arsenal can leverage the interest in him best to suit their purposes. And mm. a one-year loan without an obligation doesn't feel like the best option. Well, it depends what the loan fee is. Well, that's true. Because you could say... Take a big, a chunky loan for him, fee for him now, and maybe the economy, you know, settles down a bit in twelve months' time. And actually, after a great season with Atletico Madrid, his market value is higher. Mm. Yeah, so it's not necessarily foolish. This is a bad time to be selling players. The values are slightly depressed. You know, twenty to thirty percent. Some agents are saying. Mm. So, you know, maybe this isn't a good time. To sell, it's 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 with players under long term contract. That is, yeah. Hmm, it is. A, it's a really difficult kind of juggling act Arsenal have to do, isn't it? In the in the remainder of this window, yeah, it is. And look, there are a lot of complicated 
situations. Um, we had another one here. It was a question on the Discord. Boop, boop, boop. Um, it was about Lacazette. Uh, from cautiously optimistic Gooner. <laughs> a man after like my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> Hedging his bets right there. Well, <laughs> he says, what do you make of the Lacazette contract situation? I know you vocalize that you're unimpressed with him, so I'm uh, curious to hear whether or not you think we should move him on and invest more in Inkedia, and he mentions Balagoon as well. Um, and then he says it's a curious one because if we if we move him on, we could move Aubameyang Central, have Saka Martinelli on the left, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he was asked specifically about this, wasn't he, at the weekend? There are no contract talks planned for Lacazette. Um, mm. He's saying we've got other things we need to do in the market first, which you know you can make sense of. But if you want to offer a guy a new contract, it's not like the most complicated process in the entire world. You can do what you need to do in the transfer market and also just agree a new contract with a player if you want to give him one. You know, these are, you know, potentially the easiest things. I know the Aubameyang one was more complicated, but, you know, Lacazette is happy. And if Arsenal wanted to sign Lacazette to a new contract, I'd say they could do it in about 10 minutes if they really wanted to. So, you know, what do you make of what's going on with Lacazette? And is it a case that, you know, the the announcement or the, the revelation that we're not giving him a new deal is basically a kind of, well, come and get him. Let's hear your offers. I think Arsenal would be open to offers for Lacazette. I do think that. And I think, you know, there's a few reasons for that. The, the possibility of a Birmingham Central is one. I think we saw at times last season, Arteta kind of preferred Nketiah in some games. Uh, I think mm. he likes Nketiah probably more than most fans, I think. I think he, he really does seem to believe in him. Martinelli as well is something to consider. Also, you've got the options out there on the market. Look, I, I, I think I... I rate Lacazette a bit higher than most at the moment. I think that he is maybe a little bit underrated. I mean, I, I, I heard <laughs> it was Alan Smith, I think it was the commentator on Sky the other day, and he said he's really struggled in the last two years, Lacazette. And I was like, he was player of the year in one of those years. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I accept that in the last 12 months, he's not been at that level for the most part. But I do think that kind of... Uh, in the big games last season, in the cup run, I think he did deliver. I think he did uh, work exceptionally hard in that role. And I'm yeah. not sure how easy it is to buy. For what we'd get for Lacazette, I'm not sure how easy it is to buy someone as good. Genuinely, I'm really, mm. really not sure. Yeah, look, I, I think he has been obviously effective from a goal scoring point of view so far this season two goals in two games can't argue with that particularly when you know his goal scoring is something that has been under the 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 spotlight it was his mm-hmm. 50th goal and it was what 130 appearances mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's you know it's not great for a striker who had a much higher strike rate in in France and I know it's a different league and and everything else and I Sort of agree with you in that I think he is a, a useful player, certainly in the system uh, that we're using, certainly in the role that Mikel Arteta wants him to play. But I just look at him and I see a guy who just looks a bit like he's slowing down, still needs to take the touch a bit too often. There was one moment in the first half, wasn't there, where it opened up for him and he took a touch and he was blocked off and maybe a first-time shot, a, a snappier striker would have got a shot away. I just think at 29, 
with what we're seeing from him on a on a physical level, you know, a guy who when he arrived didn't really do 90 minutes ever. Mm-mm. And now even after a few years isn't doing 90 minutes. I don't think he's ever going to. You know, so you know. He's not a 90 minute player um at 29 years of age, which is you know, I, I would be inclined, if at all possible, to move him on while I think his, before I should say, I think his physical issues become more pronounced. And that's not yeah. to say I don't think he can't do a job for us in this team. It's good to have experienced players. But if you're asking me for the ideal, I would I would move him on. Of course, it's all dependent on who comes in. Yeah, I think or, that's you know, it. I mean, with an offer, rather. I think that's it. You know, is there an offer out there? And also something really interesting about Lacazette, um, that someone who used to work for Arsenal told me one time is that actually in salary terms, he is not deemed expensive. So while we did pay a big transfer fee for him, uh, you know, his kind of annual cost to us is not enormous on his current deal. Mm. And because of that, I wonder if there might be a temptation um, to to let hit to sort of let the contract run down by another year. I'm not sure, mm. but I just think you know it, it's not going to cost us you know what it costs to keep Urzel for 12 months to keep Lacazette. You know mm. he, he was a 50 million pound transfer, but he's not really on the, on wages in that bracket. So I do wonder if they might be a little bit more relaxed about his situation than they might be with certain others. But yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, if we play in the current system we play and Aubameyang stays on the left, we need somebody in that centre-forward role as well mm. as in Ketia, don't we? And um, so, you know, it's tempting to think, oh, we'll take the Lacazette money and divert that in central midfield, but that would probably leave us a bit light if Aubameyang stays on the left. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's, this is it, though. Like, it's the, it's the juggling act, you know? The club didn't really want to sell... You know, Emmy Martinez, or you know, it's you know, you don't. There can be players that you like, that mm. you have to sell, and that's mm. that. That is the situation that we're in. Mm. Okay, have you got uh, one more? I've got one more. If you don't have one more, uh, but I'll happy think to we've take one. Covered. I mean, just this from Jacob Jacob uh, Olafson. It's kind of related, really. But how important could Enketia be this season? Seems to be an important member of the squad, both as a starter and a substitute. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, he was starting games towards the end of, uh, or during last season when Lacazette was on the bench. And I think, you know, that was a sign of of uh, faith in him from Mikel Arteta. You know, Lacazette, a much more experienced option. And if Lacazette has responded to that uh, and it's helped his goal scoring, then good. But I do think they obviously, they they think highly of, of Enkedia. Um He's a penalty box striker, I think. Um, and maybe it's quite interesting that he is being developed perhaps for a style which we're not necessarily seeing quite yet. You think of the way Man City worked the ball and they worked the ball into the area and how many tap-ins mm. do they score? Yeah, yeah. So I do wonder if there's something like that going on with, with Enkedia, um uh, and the way that we might develop as a team um, to sort of get more out of him as a, as a penalty box striker. Look, all you can do when you're given a chance is come on and score goals. He scored, um, he scored a, a few goals for us now. 
he's still only 20, so I think there's a way to go physically, and he's obviously got to mature. But, I f- yeah, I think he's going to be important um, unless we do make a signing. And I think as the season goes on, his energy and his ability to press higher and faster and sharper and longer than Lacazette might be very useful. Yeah, and and as much as I say, you know, I rate Lacazette higher than some others, I I have a hunch and Kessia will start plenty of games this season. Mm. I really do. Okay, just final one then. Very quickly, we'll do this. Uh, it comes from Rambo on the Discord, um, who says, what would be a good return from the next five fixtures in the Premier League? We've Liverpool away, Sheffield United at home, Man City away, Leicester at home, Man United away. What's a good return? I presume he means points. So Liverpool and City away. Sheffield United, Leicester. Oh, it's United away as well. Mm. Ooh, spicy. I think we've got to win the home games. Mm -hmm. So that's six. Uh, What would be a good return? I think a really good return would be 10 points. But nine would be acceptable. Now, nine would be good too. Honestly, nine would be good too. Nine would be good because, yeah, it could be three wins or, yeah. It could be, you know, if if Arsenal lose two of those away games and win one, you know, in some ways that's worth as much, isn't it, as as drawing... Well, you could draw, draw all five. You've only got five points. You're exactly. unbeaten, but... You know, in in pure points terms, I'm um, going to say I would be I would be content with nine. What about you? I think nine is not bad when you consider City away and Liverpool away are are really really difficult, really difficult. You know, I, I know we above had, nine mm-hmm. is is great. Yeah, and I think if we beat Sheffield United, beat Leicester at home, and you know, beat Manchester United away, which I think we're perfectly capable of doing given the the state of United. Um, now, of course, by the time we play United, the the window will have closed, so they could be stronger. But then, so could we. We'll have pa- party in our by then. Oh, so, yeah, of course, yeah. And uh, crucially, we'll have David Raya. Of course, of course. I've, uh, Fifteen <laughs> points. Fifteen points all the way. Yeah, I think nine would be would be reasonable. I think nine would be good um, because I think you can compartmentalize games against City and Liverpool. Um, because of where they are and their, you know, development and trajectory. But it I would be nice. Those sides yeah, we have. I know, I know. But it would be nice to go to Anfield and come away with something. And it would be nice to go to Man City, or it'd be nice, you know, to play Man City in the Premier League and come away with something because it's been too long since we did that. So, yeah, if we can take a point from even one of those games and make it ten, I think that will be a very good return. Couldn't agree more. Let's hope so. But 15 as well. I'll take 15. If that's oh, I'll take them. Yeah, I'll take them. But, you know, let's not be too greedy uh, at this point of the season. Maybe save some of those points for later on. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks for being here as always. We'll have all the uh, bits and pieces um, for you during the week. Of course, we've got Carabao Cup coming up on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday and uh, yeah, all the rest. So, look, thanks as ever for being here. Enjoy your week. Um, as we speculate on what kind of a team we'll see in that Carabao Cup game. Um, Until the next one, take it easy. Bye-bye.
this holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.